Hello and welcome to Switch It, the podcast that's always prepared to take things deep. Australia's limited overs tour ended with another neck-jarring twist as they resurrected their chase in the third ODI to end England's long unbeaten run at home. That completed a run of six games with more ups and downs than a mere cat on a pogo stick to conclude the biosecure summer of cricket for England's men. It was ultimately a case of honours even as England won the T20Is 2-1 and Australia took the ODIs by the same score. A record sixth wicket stand between Alex Carey and Glenn Maxwell, providing the chocolate dusting on Australia's cappuccino after more than three weeks in confinement. To follow the Big Show show, I'm joined by a couple of Big Show types. In ESPN Crick Info's UK editor Andrew Miller and our Lancastrian down under deputy editor Andrew McGlashan. Hope you're both well. Nasha, been an interesting couple of series to wake up to, I should imagine. Yes, um, it's verged from feeling like it's a reverse of waking up to what it was in the 1990s as a kid back home. Miller sent me such a message, I can't remember after which of the games, I think possibly the second ODI, uh, that the whole world had turned upside down. And then, yes, you wake up again this morning as it was, and they chased down 300 from being 5 for 70. I'll give the score the proper way round as we do it down here now, you see. Um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, <laughs> Brainwashed. Uh, <laughs> Um, oh, I, you're going to hear me stick up for Adam Zampa's Love Cafe soon, Alan. So you're going to know. I've been down. I've been down. I've been down here way too long. Um, but no, it was an extraordinary run of matches, really, wasn't it? And just sort of continued what was a a really great English English season. I mean, obviously the Australian matches have had a bit more interest, sort of for the for the more parochial follower down here. But I think even the whole English season has just has just gained a lot of traction. It's obviously been the only top level cricket, really going on so uh, it, it tremendous and I, th- I thought a, a finish that just caught just sort of capped it all off really both kind of extraordinary and unbelievable and and kind of um skillful all in the same all, all in the same breath yeah I mean England had kind of um lost that one won it again uh won it some more with the ball lost it again then nearly threatened to win it at the end Miller um you were on comms for that final stretch with hindsight Rashid or Curran for the for the last over yeah I can see why Morgan went that way but I'd have gone Curran it's not hindsight to say that Curran has shown himself to be an exceptional death bowler and you know as as Nasha well knows as a as a dodgy leg spinner tosses it up and gets tail into the slog sometimes you can connect and uh, you know the old likelier to connect with a leg spinner whether he's whether he's a brilliant one like Rashid or not than you are with someone like Wood bowling 90 miles an hour or Curran hitting the deck with his variations and just um, outthinking you I I don't know it, it was a gamble but you know the the real gamble that paid off was obviously the over before when you know Rashid had a, had a had a shocker by his standards but uh, he kept uh, Morgan has kept faith with him absolutely throughout this five-year cycle that includes the World Cup victory, of course, and uh, justifiably so. I remember there was a similar scenario in West Indies last year, or year before last now, but uh, again, uh, he had, he'd been taken to the cleaners early on in the game, but no, Morgan said, no, you're coming back, you're going to win me this match, and lo and behold, he took a five for um, the most expensive five for, I think, in English history, but it was a winning five for, and he damn near did that again. It was, you know, justifiable gamble because... This is what makes Morgan a special captain. He 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 he's able to think beyond the the usual parameters of of how you skin your cats, and um, he nearly did it. Indeed. Well, we've got quite a bit to cover from the the last time we spoke. Let's tuck into the ODIs as they were a proper lanky hot pot of goodness. Australia could have won all three, Nasha, um, but they will presumably be more than happy to finish by inflicting England's first ODI series defeat since 2017 and first at home since 2015. Yeah, particularly with how they let the second game slip. I mean, that did feel at the time a terminal moment in the series, the way that uh, the way that Australia threw that that chase away. What do they need, 88 off about 20 overs or something like that, and, and, and the middle order couldn't get it done. But... Um, They've they've kind of in a funny way, despite that that result in the middle, they did gain momentum as the two weeks of matches went on. I think the the, the first T twenty that they they also threw away. I think a little bit of that was down to down to rustiness. Their first game for six months, um, and then they sort of got slowly better um, through the matches. And then the the way they had the confidence in themselves 
certainly Alex Carey and Glenn Maxwell, uh, to dig deep at 70 for five. I think that, that, that says a bit about what Justin Langer and Aaron Finch have sort of instilled. I know that kind of Langer especially can sometimes be a bit of a figure of fun occasionally for some of his colourful and, uh, and very bombastic press conferences. He gave one actually during the series, which had some extraordinary answers. One, he was asked one question about, I think it was about, oh, I don't know, what the next summer might look like down here. He ended up talking for three minutes about AFL um, because he is con- he's connected with football down here. But it was such a Justin Langer answer. But he has brought a collective spirit into this Australian team who needed it two years ago. Because of course, we don't need to go over why. Um, they were a mess when he took over. Um, and it was important for them to pull that game out of the fire like they had because there were just whispers about the number of close finishes that they hadn't been able to get over the line. Obviously, the famous Test match one a year ago and then the two in this tour. And they were just starting to get questions about um, were they mentally weak? Dare we say the C word was being thrown in there, which is normally saved for South African friends. Um, so it was really important for them to pull that one um, out the fire the way they did. And especially when it kind of got, it's almost more important in a way that they got it to the final over and didn't stuff it up because it looked as though they might have done in that last two overs. It was 14 off 12, wasn't it? Um, after Maxwell got out um, and then Archer took the wicket off Carey and then, 10 off six and you kind of thought a dot ball early in that over and this is going to go wrong again for Australia but of course that stark six um, sealed it so that was a very important little passage of play for them um, and it'll be interesting to see whether they can carry that on whenever they next play one day cricket in this in this summer down here. Yeah we talked a lot about uh, the middle order this was more like middle forder with a, a 220 12-run partnership, I think it was, uh, between Carey and Maxwell. Um, the highest successful chase in ODIs at Old Trafford. I think the first team to win um, batting second in about eight or nine. Um, and Miller, I, I mean, it did seem dead and buried at, at 73 for five after England had resurrected themselves from naught for two to score 300. It truly did, and it, and it, and I'm sure it would have been if, if it hadn't been for Jofra Archer's first no ball in ODI cricket. Um, of all the moments to pull it off, it was, uh, you know, the, the the uppercut to third man, the sprawling catch. It looked like it was done and dusted, and um, yeah, fair play to Carey because you know his 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 record was under some severe scrutiny coming into this innings. I mean, uh, obviously he 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 had a shocker in in the T20s as well. Um, you know, uh, Matthew Wade got recalled for the first time with the gloves in. Uh, I think three years, wasn't it, that, um, that he he was drafted in to <coughs> fill that hole, um, and Glenn Maxwell. Obviously, we we we've seen him do it already in this in in this series. Um, between them, they they just kept coming, and it, you know it, it was it 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 was a slow burn. I mean, it has to be when it's a two hundred and twelve run stand, but it, it wasn't immediately obvious that uh, that the game was tilted to. Australia, but you know, then but Butler dropped that catch on forty four to give Maxwell another chance, and suddenly you know the the magic went out of England. Uh, you know, we had that had that image of Joe Root blowing his fingers, his magic fingers after after his his magic ball to dismiss uh, David Warner, but something just just dissipated in in England's intensity, and it's something that uh, that Silverwood touched on. I uh, spoke to him last night after the game, and um, he 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 was you know said that. You got to, we've got to take it with a pinch of salt, the England's inability to hit the high notes as consistently as they did last time. I mean, you know, they were skillful. They've shown on tricky pitches in this series that they've still got the requisite skill to compete. And they've certainly got the um, the desire to keep fighting right to the bitter end. But there was something lacking in the way that England went about their business. They, they just didn't have that killer instinct that uh, obviously carried them over the line. At the crucial moments in in twenty nineteen, but uh, as George wrote in his in his summary last night, if ever you're going to be a little bit off the boil, uh, your first major series since uh, uh, the start of a new World Cup cycle is not the not the worst time to choose. It's a good time for Australia to to strike a blow and and really set themselves up. But England will, I think, be able to dust this off and think, you know what, we're 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 we've got a long haul to our defence in in three years' time. Uh, we'll take this one on the chin and and learn from it. Yeah, the the um the identity of those two players who came through last night, um, Nasha, um, Glenn Maxwell will probably never stop talking about in terms of you know quite how to get the best out of him, what how fulfilled has his career been, um, but this 
perhaps looked like the, the, the role for him at number seven. He obviously helped turn that first game, uh, which is a bit more pedestrian by the standards of the second two, but um, took Australia from a, a tricky position alongside Mitchell Marsh uh, up to a match-winning score. And then, obviously, this was his, I think, second ODI 100 in a, in a fairly long and winding career. But, you know, number seven and able to sort of... Um, Rebuild and then counter attack almost in the same um, breath. Is that is that kind of the the template for him from here on? Do you think? You get the feeling that's what they're going to sort of let him do for a little while now, and you kind of get a sense with this team now building to twenty twenty three. They want to get players in positions that they can keep playing in that role. So, Mitch Marsh at number five, um, Maxwell at seven, Carey in between them at six. The kind of the top order kind of picks itself. I know we've had Steve Smith's absence in this series, but he comes back probably for Stoinis at three and F day four. You've got your top seven that, with a fair wind, could well be the top seven in in three years' time. Australia aren't going to be the youngest side at that World Cup by any means. They're actually probably going to be the oldest side if the players we expect to get them there are playing in India in 2023. But with that comes experience, situational experience. Um, and what they don't want is to make all these last-minute decisions that they made for different reasons, of course, but made going into the last World Cup, which almost, in a very Australian way, almost brought them world champions again. England obviously had that great day at Edgebaston to stop them in their in their tracks. But I think what they'll... Maxwell's always been the X factor, and he's, he's been one of the most... He's, I wouldn't say polarising cricketers down here, but there's a huge amount of will to want him to do well because of what he brings to that side. So we saw it yesterday. The other 100 you mentioned was a 50-ball one in the World Cup in 2015 against um, Sri Lanka. We've seen cameos of 70 or 80. Um, He is as destructive as anybody. And the one thing you'd say about Australia's top order is that they need that slightly different dynamic of player. So England have Josh Butler, but he's not the only one for them. They have Ben Stokes when he's there. They have Bairstow and Roy, and they have others who aren't even in the team. Banton coming through Australia. The banning is still a little bit more of that traditional mould. So Maxwell carries even more importance because he is so different. He can do so many things that the other players of that top order can't do or choose not to do. I mean, I think they all do have the shots to a degree. So I think we'll see him at seven, uh, particularly as Australia like to play four, the four bowlers they do play, and none of them really bat as on a match to any of England. We saw the Rashid Curran stand, for example, in the second game. It's hard to see any of Australia's low order repeating that. Um, they're good for the odd six, as we saw last night when they need it, but nothing much much deeper than that. So to have Maxwell at seven, I think it's pretty important. And I do, in the situation, I think you'll see him do a Joss Butler occasionally, and if it's 220 for two after 30 overs, you'll probably see Maxwell walking in to try and make it 400. But I do think they want to allow these players to settle now over the next year or so as, as they build this team. Amelia, you sort of touched on it with um, regard to the, the bit of pressure on Alex Carey. Um, didn't enjoy the, the T20s, was dropped for that third one. And then sort of before the ODIs, Adam Gilchrist started talking up a, another West Australian in um, uh, Josh Philippi. Um but I mean, Carey sort of uh, has answered that in in the best way possible with a with a maiden hundred. Yes, I mean it, it, it's. Uh, I mean, I'm still not convinced, to be perfectly honest, by by his role. But uh, then there's not much that's convincing about the way that Australia have structured their team either. But it's it's effective, and largely it's effective because they've got a they've got a bowling attack that is just out of this world. And if you know, if you've got a bowling attack, it's 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 almost. It's almost a throwback to West Indies in the 19, 1970s when they won two World, World Cups in a row. If you've got a bowling attack that is the best in the world, you can build your team to react to what they're going to do. Um, you know, if Mitchell Stark's going to take two and two balls with, with unplayable first-over deliveries and Adam Zampa's going to mop up wickets galore but because the seamers, you know, the, the seamers have kept it so tight that you've got to take your chance to get the leg spinner and suddenly you're holding out every other ball. I mean, that, that's a winning formula. And therefore, it gives Australia, I think, more leeway to play a bit more traditionally. It's you know, it's not dissimilar in 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 style actually to how England nearly won the twenty thirteen Champions Trophy. It, 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 there's a certain amount of traditional merits. Even David Warner has been batting fairly traditionally, sort of dropping anchor a little bit more in this, in in certainly by the standards of of recent one day cricket. And you know, it, it's uh, it's old school. And it's effective, and and as an old school number seven pivotal uh, wicketkeeper, Alex Carey does a job. Is he going to be the sort of the superstar 
mould-breaking wicketkeeper that everyone seems to have spent most of the past 20 years looking for since Adam Gilchrist broke that mould? Of course not, but it's almost sort of postmodern from Australia. They know they're not going to get another Gilchrist scenario, so they'll make do with, with someone who's going to do a job. And as I say, because they've got such an outstanding attack with Mitchell Stark peerless among uh, fast bowlers in white ball cricket, in my opinion, um, he, he, he's perfectly serviceable. Uh, uh, Josh Felipe, I, I've not seen much of him, I must admit. Uh, he's clearly a man, a coming man, but um, is he the man for the moment? Uh, apparently not, according to the, the management. I think just another thing to add about kind of how, just going back to what Miller was saying about the structure of the side, what's benefited Australia in this series is that they've had Marsh and Maxwell back in the team together, and that's a very solid 10 overs between those two. So you've got your four specialist gun bowlers who um, are very rarely going to have bad days. I mean, they'll go for a few runs, but they're wicket takers. You've then got Maxwell and Marsh, and then you've got Marnus Lavashane, who's a, who's a developing leggy. Um, so you've got your... You're your fifth bowler there. You aren't scrambling for, for real part-time overs there. And I think that's a, a shift. I think that's helped or is going to help Australia in this run if they stick with this balance of side. It looks like they will. I mean, they may tinker with the odd personnel, but the four front-line bowlers, whereas, where, whereas we saw Ashton Agar take the number seven role in the T20 team, this is very much, kind of as Miller was saying, kind of six bats and a keeper and four bowlers. It's almost a test match type of makeup to the team except obviously Maxwell's unique set of skills. So um, they desperately want uh, Maxwell, obviously, but also Marsh to make this role his own now. And that's still a bit more of a TBC, played very well in the first game, then in a very Mitchell Marsh fashion, just as everyone starts to build him up, um, including myself. Um, he then bags he, he then bags two single-figure scores. So, But I think he's going to get a run now because they value his medium pace slightly above Marcus Stoinis's medium pace. And if they can keep those two in, then you've got your banker for another... 10 overs and more if any of the other guys had a bad day. So I think that's quite important for Australia as well going forward. And this was a, a, a series, or rather uh, two series of collapses and comebacks. Probably worth just setting them all out side by side, really. The, the first T20 um, began with Australia needing 39 off 36 balls, I think it was, with nine wickets in hand. Obviously ended up losing. Um, the, the third game, they threatened to do that again, going from 86 for two to 100 for five. Um, Maxwell sort of cobbled on both times. Uh, that uh, Dismissals to Adil Rashid um, in the middle. Um Mitchell Marsh, the the saviour for Australia in that in that third T uh, twenty, um, the the first ODI England uh, were the ones that sort of tripped up fifty seven for four and then got to within twenty runs of winning. Although they they never really looked like getting there, um, but you know Sam Billings made hundred kept it interesting until the end. Um, the second ODI had had that sort of baffling contrast of England having been one hundred and forty nine for eight from I think about 40 overs, ending up making 230. Uh, Australia, 144 for two, uh, with twice as much time to, to get it done um, and losing by, by distance in the end. And then obviously England from naught for two uh, to, to, to 300 plus and Australia recovering from 73 for five. Quite hard to pick pick out the bones of all that, Miller, but it was entertaining. Uh, we can, oh, <laughs> we can God, be sure yeah, of that. Wasn't it just... I mean, you know, and frankly, that, that, that's all we've been asking for in this, this whole ridiculous summer is entertainment. I mean, it's interesting what Nasha was saying at the top there about how, how it's really captured the imagination, not just here, obviously, but, but globally, being pretty much the only, only event in town. It, it almost feels like me to a sort of uh, quite a, a familiar sort of throwback to, to my upbringing in the 1990s when, you know, you would pay just as much attention to West Indies versus Australia or, or Pakistan versus India or or whatever whatever other series was going on around the world because there wasn't this massive glut of contests going on every minute of every day it, you know the 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 scarcity has has increased the demand for for whatever entertainment is out there and lo and behold for whatever reason um these teams have come good they've they you know i i i salute them frankly it, it can't be easy to not only live in that bubble for for months on end but but come out and and compete in empty stadiums, knowing that you know there may be millions watching you. But how do you really factor that into your performance when you know every shot is just echoing, and you've got to go into the car park to fetch your sixes and all the rest of it? Uh, but somehow the the intensity has never dropped, not not for one second in any of these contests. It, it it's been, you know, the ruthlessness has dropped from England, and I think that that probably is a 
is a factor in you know probably a post World Cup issue rather than a factor of the of the biosecurity the 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 intensity and and the, and the recognition that this is a show and we've got to bring our our, our best efforts to it has hasn't wavered and that that's remarkable in, in my opinion it, it would be very easy for it to to people have just gone through the motions and 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 dribbled to the conclusion of a, of a of a soggy summer but actually it's been compelling I do wonder whether England's propensity for ridiculous cricket also <laughs> drags or also drags other teams into playing ridiculous matches I mean it, it just seems to be England wherever they go play ridiculous sorts of of cricket I mean we often we, we've laughed about it haven't we as a, as a group in the in the past when we've either been at maybe one or two of us have a greater history of being at slightly ridiculous games of cricket than others <laughs> but England have a England have a pretty long history of it and obviously in recent years particularly the way they play one day cricket obviously sides need to be aggressive to compete and therefore it perhaps creates these environments where ridiculous things can happen more often than they would in in your average other one day series I think probably conditions in England are also conducive aren't they to, to good quality cricket I mean it's probably worth saying how good the pitches have remained it's a quite a dull topic we should probably have George here but um, <laughs> it, it, it's quite it, we've got how, all day you, you, the floor is yours how good the heavy pitches heavy roller have, issues yeah how good they've remained though I mean they've offered something they haven't they haven't really died have they I mean some of them have been on the slower side but just the amount of traffic that's gone through those two major grounds um, all summer um, and just to kind of just to keep rolling out that that level of cricket and also the fact I mean Morgan touched on it I think in his post-match yesterday talked about the number of players England have cycled through this summer I mean certainly if you're ever going to explore the depth of a squad then um, then this was a, this was the summer to find out and I, I found it interesting in a way and not maybe entirely surprising but Australia didn't really take the opportunity to do that on this tour. Now, obviously, it's their first cricket back for a long time. They probably just wanted to play, and obviously, they wanted to win. And I know all these one days now carry points for prizes and everything in the in 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 the league, so you don't want to hand out caps. But they brought twenty one players, and I think they ended up playing twelve or thirteen of them across the six matches, um, which I thought was quite interesting. Clearly, they like I was saying before, they want to get players into certain roles. But I thought they might have tried to have a look at Meredith, for example. At some stage, he's the, he's the young quick bowler, um, but there's going to be a summer of um, of biosecure hubble, uh, hubbles. That's bubbles and hubs together, <laughs> folks. There you go, hubbles. We'll, we'll, the first we'll, we'll of many them. hubbles, I'm sure, for you. Uh... <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll call them we'll call them hubbles from now on. Uh, but they're going to be lots of them down here um, this summer. So I'm sure the likes of Meredith and Philippe will get there get their goes. But we it's been another in, it's been another window, hasn't it, into England's depth um, of talent when. David Milan is still fighting for a place in a team and he's the number one T20 batsman. So uh, from that, again, um, I guess, it, I just going back to Miller's point, I guess we'll maybe see the fruits of this summer in a year or two's time when things are, we hope, normal and normal teams are being picked again. Um, the depth that England then have to choose from. Hubble, bubble, toil and trouble. That's a sort of sign of the times. I think Australia missed a trick in, in, in re-signing with Vodafone. Hubba Bubba would have paid a premium for, for this summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that marketing uh, idea is free to CA. There you go. You've, it's all yours. Um, Nash has mentioned there the, uh, the World Cup Super League. Um, England, of course, are still top of the table, albeit only three teams have any points. Um, Australia hot on their heels. Thirty points for England, twenty for Australia, ten for Ireland. Just for, for, so everyone's clear. Um, but uh, Miller, perhaps more importantly, um, not that I want to denigrate the idea at all. But um, Morgan spoke before that, that the one day is about kind of testing the range of the side, uh, given that the World Cup a long way off, but uh, will be in India in twenty twenty three. Uh, pitch is likely to be slower more given to spin and, and that sort of thing we certainly saw that at Old Trafford um, and England's adaptability was a bit of a mixed bag uh, obviously they did well to get up to a score in the in the second game uh, and and looked like having posted a match winning score uh, yesterday uh, but there are still some sticking points at, at particularly the, the top order which looked rusty it did I mean Jason Roy had an unmitigated shocker this summer I mean there's no there's no there's no two ways about it um I mean, it's it, it happens if you if you play that expansive sort of game and suddenly you're expected to carry on playing that game but adapt at the same time. It's going to scramble your mind, let alone 
when you start facing uh, Mitchell Stark on 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 pitches that are offering something, uh, things get complicated. But uh, but then again, the, the adaptability is the key thing for England. And 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 as as Morgan and Silverwood have both said, there's no none of the adaptability means that they want England to go into their shells. You don't want to stop being the side that 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 crushed all comers on the on the way to the world uh, the World Cup last year. They've just got to find a different way to crush them, find a different way to skin those cats. And, and you know, Johnny Bairstow's innings uh, was magnificent. Sam Billings, at last, given an opportunity to be uh, be a first pick rather than a, a last-minute call-up. He He's shown ticker and temperament and, and improvisation and the, the 360 ability that uh, will be crucial. Josh Butler went a bit missing, but he had a good T20 series, so he'll he'll come again. Um, I, I, I was encouraged, actually, by... The areas in which England did find ways to 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 adapt. It's such early days in this cycle, and Morgan was quite right in 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 calling out the pitches before the series, saying, "Look, this is what we this is what we want. This is this is exactly what we're after." Because you know there was there was that period all through England's run to to the World Cup when you know they'd be they'd be twenty for six against um, South Africa at Lords or eight for five at Mel uh, uh, Adelaide. And then Morgan would come out and slate the pitch, saying that wasn't the type of pitch that we want to play on. So I'm not, I don't care about the guys losing. Um, he he wants this sort of pitch now, and so the the mood has changed. And and England, you know, despite of errors, uh, they I thought started to change. There's one other thing I I will also say actually, and it's more to do with the bowling. Um, I thought binning Liam Plunkett was brutal, thoroughly ruthless, and 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 probably ahead of its time, but. At the same time, having seen the speed with which England are now throwing their their thoughts forward to 2023, I can see that's exactly the right thing to have done because Liam Plunkett would probably have won England the series. He would have he would have found ways to carry on doing what he's done all through the last four years and get wickets in those middle overs. England have got to find different ways to do that. And it's better that they find out now how big a loss it is than have Plunkett carrying on papering over that crack for another two, two and a half years and then suddenly get to nearly 40 and fall off a cliff before the World Cup. Uh, there's no point in doing that. You might as well say to Mark Wood, right, come in, bowl us, bowl us some rockets in the middle over or say to Tom Curran, show us your, show us your tricks or say Joffre, come on Joffre, get us a wicket we need to or Chris Wokes, the ever unsung Chris Wokes, you know, hit the seam and bowl your cutters and, and find, find a way to, to dig us out of another hole. I thought they did that fundamentally um not not perfectly but england showed plenty areas in which they will be able to adapt given the chance to hone skills in different areas that obviously were so well covered off in the previous four years yeah i mean those the the middle order wicket taking i think the against ireland in the third um odi of that series which they obviously lost that game they didn't take a wicket between the the tenth, uh, the the end of that first power power play and the start of the 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 third one in the fortieth over, um, and obviously Ireland chased down three hundred plus on that day. Um, contrast that with uh, Nasha, the the kind of the collapse that they set in motion uh, at Old Trafford in the second game, when um, albeit that the the pitch was probably a trickier one to to chase on. Um, but that was uh, quite quite extraordinary. Um, Morgan, in particular, uh, the, taking that move to bowl out his his two strike bowlers, and and that obviously rattled Australia and and kind of set in motion um, the, their collapse. Yeah, I mean it was a it was all it was a terrific passage of play, wasn't it? From when you could sense that Morgan knew he only had one way to go, and um, to, to copy his his phrase, and one Miller will probably love his threw all his chips in. Um, um, although I'm not that. sure Miller, I'm not sure Miller comes out the winner as often as Morgan does. Um, but um, there we go. We'll uh, yeah, maybe Miller supposed was to be the displaying best. a poker face now. But <laughs> um, but um, I, I I thought I thought kind of what Morgan did really well in that moment was sort of he 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 preyed on the vulnerability that is still there in that. Australian side, I know, and it's going to sound really weird them having chased three hundred the way they did uh, yesterday. Um, but you, you still sense a little uncertainty if you can get into Australia and put some pressure on in that middle order. I thought thought Morgan did that brilliantly. And just going back to what Miller was saying about sort of England finding different ways, the performance of the Curran brothers in that game. Um, I know we had a debate in the show we did to preview this series 
uh, we talked about the David Willey, Sam Curran debate and how David Willey had been really unlucky um, to miss out and kind of like, did he do it? Was he, is he at the time a better cricketer now than Sam Curran for the role? Possibly, but again, Sam Curran very much an eye to the future cricketer. Give Sam Curran another three years. We know what he can do now. He might be that perfect, versatile squad player. Hard to see how Sam Curran always fits into the England team as a as a starter because he, he's not expressed pace. He's he's sort of another number seven, of which England have quite a lot. But um, clearly that, again, nod to the selectors and Ed Smith there. They, they're they putting value in, in the future there with, with Sam Curran. He, he came in and then was obviously unlucky to be left out for the final game. And, and that's kind of still a little bit what Australia, well, I, suppose, I say Australia need to find it. If these, if these guys stay fit that they have in the team, it's not a problem, but it's just, it's not going that they aren't going to stay fit and play every game from here till India 2023. So there will be a time where Australia need to work out how they're going to do what England are doing now. And it's, it's a bit easier doing it coming off as world champions. You both from the public and your own structure you probably have a little bit more breathing space um australia's one day side as finch admitted during the series has been under some pressure of late so i don't think he quite feels the ability to experiment at the moment but if they get some momentum in the game um, and maybe the different sort of strange circumstances cricket will be played in for the next um next while um he will have to dip into those extra extra resources and that and that will be interesting uh, to see what kind of year Kane Richardson comes into the one-day side, Riley Meredith, does Daniel Sams come into the mix, Sean Abbott, those guys that we all know they're good cricketers, um, but uh, what you do, what you want, you don't want to get to a World Cup with a 15-man squad with two or three that have played a handful of ODIs in that preceding three years, and that's what England did so well building up to last year. Obviously, it helped that they were winning and consistent, but I don't think he wasn't really a player in that squad. I'm not say Joffrey Archer, the exception for, 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 for different circumstances. But other than that, everyone had plenty of experience um, in that side. Um, and that's, we can tell what, that's what, that's what Morgan and Silver are trying to do now. It's going to be important for Australia to have those reserve players that have some experience behind them. So they want to build Marnus Labuschagne up in the middle order. They might have to look at Philippe. I think they'll certainly have to look at some other bowlers as well over that time. So that'll be interesting to see how, how Australia manage that um, over the next few years. Talking of um, sort of squad depth and, and options, um, one player who was very much part of England's World Cup run um, and and part of the, the kind of tactical um, approach England had in, in terms of taking middle over wickets, Miller, um, Moeen Ali, uh, uh, alongside Adil Rashid as a sort of twin spin threat. Uh, and then you, Plunkett was obviously the kind of seam bowling battering ram. But, I mean, it's it's... When you look at it, Moeen's fall, uh, his drop in form has, has kind of been pretty stark, albeit there's a, a, at the same time a slow burn quality to it. Um, it. I think since the start of 2019, he's taken seven ODI wickets at, at 114. Um, he was left out of the, the last two games here, Sam Curran uh, coming in um, in, that, in, the, in, the, in the second match. Um and and at the same time, Moeen, I think, has averaged about 15 with the bat. I mean, if you go back to his um, 100 at Bristol against West Indies in the summer of 2017, back when Nasher was still in this country, um, <laughs> since since then, he's scored three 50s across all formats um, it's in, in a, in a, a three-year span. I mean, um, albeit that even in, even in the, the last few uh, games, the last couple of weeks, we've seen the value of, uh, of his qualities um, in that second T20 when he walked out and Joss Butler was kind of doing most of the job of winning that chase for England. Moeen walked out and bashed a four and a six at the end, just when it was looking a bit tight. Um, and he talked a little bit about his role or his, his kind of feelings of, um, I think he talked about complacency actually and, and kind of coasting in the side and and we know he needs maybe to feel a bit uh, a bit of love, feel valued. Uh, he's the vice captain in the T20 side. But you'd think going to a World Cup um, in Australia and, and, and obviously a, a T20 World Cup, uh, sorry, in India and uh, same for the next year's T20 World Cup, but Moeen would be kind of central and, and, and you know, right uh, in the middle of England's best stuff, and yet we're still not really sure about the best uh, how to get the best out of it. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, ordinarily speaking, given the state of the pitches, and given we knew they were going to take spin, uh, you'd have get you'd get Moeen straight into that side, and 
it was interesting. You know, you you highlight the word coasting. He 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 was very candid as he as he as he often can be in press conferences and, and admitted that you know he he was just took his place a little bit for granted. I love that was put to Owen Morgan um, before the series, and his his ears pricked up at the, at the mention of the word, and and actually he he kind of latched onto it rather ruthlessly to, in in my, in my mind in the way that Morgan can. I mean, Morgan has been an exceptional captain, and Moeen spoke very glowingly about how he'd given him responsibility, tried different ways to coax him out of him, and obviously ultimately made him captain for that for that for that match the other day. That's um you know a, a massive honour for Moeen. But at the same time Morgan is not gonna just wait for Moeen to, to, to come back to the party. He's he's inviting him in, saying, Come on, you're 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 very much part of us and you, we want you to be the best you can be. But he's not gonna wait for him to, to, to find his best form. And England will move on from Moeen, I believe, if they don't believe that he's going to come back to be the player that he was. I mean, what is he? He's, he's mid-30s now. He's one of the older men in the squad. Um, it's entirely possible that, that, that we have seen the best of him already. I mean, I hope not, because his best can be magnificent, as, as we all know. But equally, his best comes and goes on a whim. I mean, you talk about you know hitting a four and a six to win the game the other day. Well, Mitchell Stark managed that the other night. I mean, it's, it, you know, anyone, anyone can do that if they, if they lay bat on ball, and to be frank. The fact that Moeen does it with extra style and extra panache and when he hits 1-6, you generally find that his timing slots into place and he'll start mowing a 50-ball 100 before you know it. If he doesn't, he's going he's gonna to swing and miss and get out for one from seven balls. And do England want to, to, to keep waiting for Moeen to find his best or do they have to just think, you know what, we're better off moving on without him? It's a tough call to make because he's a huge player for England. But you know the speed with which his performances dipped away they you know England tried to keep him at his best into the World Cup but ultimately they had to get rid of him they had to drop him during that run to the final because he simply wasn't the player that they needed and the player that he had been all the way through the previous four years um it's a big call I I personally I think that realistically probably it's time for England to move on from him in 50 over cricket albeit that England will probably want three spinners in India in in 2013, and Joe Root could possibly be the third spinner. He's not probably not, in spite of his performance yesterday, he's probably not a second spinner. But if England are going to defend that properly, they can't wait three years for Moeen to, to find his best form at the age of 36, 37. They're going to have to find ways to to bring through their next generation. Liam Dawson, obviously, he's injured at the moment. He'd have been he'd have probably been in the squad and had a real opportunity to stake a claim, but. England might have to find other options out there, and um, that's not going to be an easy thing. Don Bess, who knows if 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 Red Bull, if the bubbles can break at some stage, he's got the all-round ability to 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 play a role. But you know, English spinners, it's a it's an ancient conundrum they've they've got. There aren't very many out there, uh, and so you want to be you want to be very careful about you know deciding when when enough's enough with any of them. But um, I fear that in fifty over cricket, at least Moeen may be on the way out. In twenty over cricket. I still think there's a role for him, but um, somehow, whether it's by 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 putting an arm around his shoulder or give him give him a bit of a kick, England have got to coax him and persuade him to to come back to his best pretty soon, in my opinion. Joe Denley is always available, so uh, you know. On the, on the <laughs> Sorry, spinner I should front. have mentioned Joe Denley, but honestly, oh, I mean, Nasha, you, you've seen um, uh, plenty of mowing throughout his international careers. Is there a sense that, in a way, his versatility and the way England have used him was always going to kind of end up at this sort of um, pass where Moeen's a top-order batsman, you know, say for Worcestershire, he will kind of open in T20 um, or he'll play, you know, in the franchise leagues. Um, and he would probably do that in 50-over cricket as well, where he began his, his time um, in the one-day side and then even in test cricket where he's ended up kind of batting as low as kind of seven and eight. Um, and he's talked himself about then beginning to view himself as a bit of a slogger rather than as a proper batsman. But he's also had this thing of wanting to be seen as a, as the kind of the number two spinner rather than have the pressure on him there. And, um, it, it's kind of, it's now gone down to a road uh, where he's possibly not going to be the number two spinner or not the number seven or eight because uh, he's, he's kind of not fulfilling either role. I mean, it might be, it might, I mean, and I know, as Miller said, he was, he was dropped um, before the end of the World Cup campaign, but so much effort put into that four-year period, such a, a magical moment, winning that World Cup. Sometimes players, I just think, struggle to, to go again after that. Um, and um, 
I mean, it, it, I guess that's probably what distinguishes the very good from the great player. How long can they keep themselves motivated for those targets and, and as Miller said, Moeen has never been shy at talking about how cricket is not the most important thing to him in the world by by quite a long way, actually, um, which is a very refreshing view to take. But obviously, if you're not 100 or even 110% switched on um, in, in international cricket, it's going to find you out, um, particularly particularly in the batting and, and the, the way Moeen plays, which is a, quite a hand-eye sort of play. If any of that game falls apart, um, the runs uh, aren't going to come. I also think with the one-day side, um, certainly certainly in this series, or sorry, certainly not in this, in this series before he's left out, a couple of other times since the World Cup, Ben Stokes hasn't been playing one-day cricket since, since the World Cup. And Moeen's therefore been one generally of five front-line bowls with a 3-2 balance if him and Rashid play, which often just feels as though England are a, sometimes a seamer short there, especially if they make a good start. So the pressure on Moeen to be an absolute fifth bowler, I wonder if that works against it slightly. And perhaps if Stokes is back and therefore England have that perfect balance again of four seamers and two spinners, um, maybe that will allow him to be a bit more of this natural, just kind of come in when he's needed, make a small but telling contribution um, to a game. Um, but yes, I mean, as as Miller was saying, it kind of has the feel that he might not make the 2023 one-day World Cup. It might be that he picks one of the 20-over ones. Um, who knows? He's could I, He could easily be the sort of player who himself decides to, to give up a format, particularly if the game is played as it is now for a while. Um, you suspect there'll be a few players who don't want to spend all that time in, in bubbles, so there might be some career choices um, being made along the way. Indeed, well, a um, few few more little bits to uh, to pick through before we wrap up. I think uh, talking of players whose impact um, on the field perhaps um, isn't reflected in their numbers, um, there are there's a player in the England T Twenty side whose numbers you know far outstrip anyone else, and yet he's not certain of his place in the side. David Milan, the number one T uh, Twenty international batsman in the world, uh, Miller, and going back a, um, a week or so now, but he had a uh, another quietly impressive series against Australia, and yet we're still not entirely sure if uh, he would be in in the first choice eleven once everyone uh, was available for Morgan to pick from again. Yeah, isn't that isn't that the case? But I mean, we've we've kind of been here before with England in one day cricket. I remember Johnny Bairstow in twenty seventeen. There there was. England were absolutely adamant, and Morgan, over his dead body, was Bairstow going to get a place in England's first eleven. But he just kept producing, kept producing, kept producing, until, you know, obviously Jason Roy's form vanished in the Champions Trophy. Uh, Bairstow got his opportunity at last and has never re- relinquished it. And sometimes, you know, the, the, the hunger that is required to break into England's team is one of the most important aspects of them being a really damn good white ball side. It, you know, it, it's it's a tough team to break into. It's a tough team to break out of at times as well, as as uh, you know, the, as Moeen's case is showing. But I don't think it hurts to have a, a guy in the squad being being forced to just be the best he can be every time he turns up to turns up to to an England game because you know that 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 you know it, it may not be apparent to everyone, but I bet you there are other players in that squad thinking, "My God, I'm looking over my shoulder here." You know, the, 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 David Milan, if he carries on this sort of performance, he's of course he's going to be a first choice because, you know, the numbers will not tell a lie in the end. I mean, you can't really compare him to Chris Scales. He's not the same sort of player. But if the single biggest criticism of David Milan is that he will plod along and take up too many dot balls at the side of his innings, then the same, same accusations have been thrown at Chris Scale throughout his, his magisterial T20 career. And look at the end result. He he takes his opportunity to get his eye in and then pays it back in spades with, with some massive hits. And, you know, Milan is capable of doing that. He's capable of suddenly turning on and over, getting that 20-run over, and suddenly he's gone from a runnable 12 to 32 from... 15 and he's, he's away or, or I've done my maths wrong there but you know what I mean that's good um, maths that, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it that's, that's impressive yeah. maths yeah, yeah. a few, yeah, few, few no balls in there yeah. as well no, no balls and free hits but you know the point, the point still stands if he's going to be justifying his his cautiousness for want of a better word at the top of his innings by being there at the end and ensuring that England get winning positions he's going to carry on making a case for himself but you know it, 
I don't think it hurts to to have a guy who whose hunger is so palpable within that squad. Um, indeed, and well, you've mentioned hunger. Um, someone that um, someone that's never short of uh, facing a few extra throwdowns. Um, Nasha Stephen Smith missed the ODI series uh, because of a, a concussion uh, or a blow to the head, certainly sustained before the first match. I mean, it, this slightly goes back to bubble life and and the the way um, everything is set up. We didn't know about this until kind of the eve of the game. Um, it was said he'd just taken a, a blow on the on the head from uh, one of the support staff with a sidearm, um, and but then he sort of s- subsequently passed his tests, but wasn't picked for the second game and was left out again for the third game. And Aaron Finch talked about him still feeling a bit groggy um, on the on the the, the Wednesday morning. Um, is this a, a concern? Obviously, going back to Smith's experience last summer and and getting hit on the head by Joffre Archer at Lords. Um- yeah, I think it. I think it's enough now to be something that is going to kind of be a narrative now. Um, Smith's obviously flying off to the IPL with the other um, UAE-bound players um, today. Um, it's emerged actually in the last few hours that it was Trent Woodhill with the wanger um, that did the damage. Um, That's the, sounds the Cluedo like no answer. I was going to say, in, yeah, with the wanger in the Old Trafford nets. There you go. So um, it's it's the bubble cricket version of, of Cluedo. Um, and and yeah, and I think I think it's important. I think if you remember back to the um, the Joffre Archer uh, blow um, last summer, um, that initially Smith came back out to bat. He he did actually pass initial concussion tests. Um, it was it was delayed by not very long. He clearly wasn't in a very good state, but fish, he was he was allowed back out, and then he he fell and he he didn't. He, he was then subbed out later in the game, so it wasn't it wasn't instant. So it sounds as though. I don't think it's the same level as what happened at Lords, uh, but it sounds as though perhaps symptomatically it's it, it, it's the same. And perhaps the most significant one was yet uh, two days ago when Langer spoke to us just before the final ODI in the morning. Obviously, the time difference being that he'll speak to the, the Aussie journos about um, eight o'clock in the morning your time, and he said he was very confident Smith would have a hit um, and very confident he'd be available for the final game. He spoke to Australian radio at the end of your day. Um, after Smith had netted and said he looked pretty rusty and I'm much less confident than I was um, a few hours ago. So clearly, um, clearly it wasn't a, it's not something with a swift recovery and what's going to be interesting now and be interesting to see how Cricket Australia sort of manage it is obviously he's now going to be in the hands of the IPL medics. Um, now that isn't at all to say that they're any less good or anything, but different sets of protocols. CA has probably fair to say the toughest, most stringent um, concussion blow on the head protocols um I think there are in the game. Uh be interesting to see how how he's managed at the start of as of his Rajasthan Royal stint, um, whether he plays the first game, he's obviously captain for them, so they'll be keen to get him on the park um as soon as soon as they can. But um yeah, I think I think it'll be an interesting one kind of through this obviously we all just hope he doesn't get another blow on the head, then it, it won't be an issue. But uh another player in Australia who's had a lot of repeated concussions is the young Will Pukowski, who's very talented, um, been very close to an Australian debut a couple of times, but I think he's had five or six or seven concussions now in his career. So he's he's got an ongoing problem. They wouldn't want it to be that, to get to that level for Steve Smith. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one uh, to follow. I guess it was a, a, an example of sort of following the um, the story in, in, in the bubble life, wasn't it? Sort of thing, picking things up on the morning um, of the game, whereas in a normal life, they would have been major stories leading up to each day's play. But it's worth saying that Australia won the series without him. And um, so kind of that, well, that's a tick in their box. He didn't make a huge contribution in the three T20s. He actually looked quite skittish, I thought, in those three innings. I think he was just keen to get bat on ball, but he um, he kind of didn't really seem settled. Um, and kind of there's another debate about where Smith bats in T20, but I suspect they're running out of time on the, on the pod to go into that. But so kind of... He'll he'll be desperate to get obviously when he gets back to the Australian summer, um, to sort of probably put this trip behind him, I'd say, and sort of start afresh, uh, with however the Australian summer looks like, um, come November. Well, yes, uh, and we we might touch on that in a minute, um, Nasha um, Miller. We wish Stephen Smith well for England. That well, England's men. That's that's the end. Um, of that was the summer that was. 
several of their squad will be off to the IPL. Um, and then England women do play. Uh, they go into their own bubble uh, against West Indies women uh, before we have the, the delights of um, the Bob Willis Trophy final and, and, and um, T20 finals day as well. Indeed, plenty more to look forward to. I mean, this you know, England season is going to keep rolling on until October, which uh, you know ordinarily that would fill me with dread. But given 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 the given that we've all had a, a rain check this summer with with such a long layoff and just gagging to get get involved, I mean, I I, I can't I, I'm in no rush to for it to finish. In fact, I'm playing this afternoon for the Cricket Riders Club. It's, it, I'm, I'm gagging to get a proper season in, and and it feels like the sun's out. Uh, everyone's in a good mood. Everyone wants cricket to carry on. Why would we wish it to end? And so, yeah, we've got plenty to get stuck into. I mean, has first has first ball duck written all over it for you there, Miller? Having oh god, picked it, it up does. like that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to yeah. aim, trying to aim for the hills like you're trying to hit Warney in that Facebook video. <laughs> just give yourself a sighter. Just give yourself a ball. To, you, you've wanted it for so long. Just don't, yeah. don't yeah, go. Hell, <laughs> question: will, will the pod will the pod have gone up before Miller's got out? That's the... <laughs> no, that that I think is is the question. Yeah. Yeah. Or either that, but, but or, so or, much, so or pulled a hamstring trying to bowl too quick. Yeah, that's more likely. It's <laughs> more likely, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. But but yeah, there, there's there's plenty to look forward to. I mean, I mean, it's great that the women are getting getting uh, getting a look in because you know there's so much of this summer has been dominated by the finances and the realities of those finances as well. I mean, it uh, you know uh, before we get on to the women, just just a word for the men as well because obviously it's. Uh, it's such a weird scenario for England's men at the moment. They basically saved English cricket by by going through the the efforts to go into the lockdown and you know ninety days in isolation effectively for guys like Joffre Archer who played in both formats. And yet, obviously, in light of what we know about the ECB's job losses, sixty two redundancies or restructurings um, are not to be sniffed at. And with England's contracts up for renewal in October, the question is obviously: Are England going to have to take a further hit when when ordinarily they would be in line for a hardship bonus given the efforts they put in this summer you know single-handedly the men have basically shored up the finances and the women for all that we're delighted to see them back on the park the financial realities are such that it, this is not going to this is not going to make the money required to tide over english cricket but you know for the for the for the sake of all the efforts have been put in to to make the sport an equal opportunity sport and driving the women's game, obviously since the World Cup in 2017 and all the efforts, it, it, it is imperative that the women get back on the field. But it's not the same sort of imperative that England saw to get the men out there playing their test matches and getting a full 18-match season out of out of the schedule. It, it, it's such a different different set of dynamics going on here. England, England have got some serious financial realities to factor in and you know there've been warnings that if corona carries on into 2021 the, the you know the, the the impact on the sport are going to be even worse than it's been already this year um but somehow the show's got to go on and in the short term west indies once again coming to the england's england's rescue in in getting a team over here to to play the women's series it, it it's fantastic for the for the women and for the sport that we're going to have this opportunity but we can't lose sight of the fact that you know the finances are such that you know you look around the world at other 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 women's teams, they're not having this opportunity. They're not having the the board behind them in the same way to 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 get back on the park. There's there's trouble ahead, and I just hope that they they're able to take opportunity, take the take this moment to to really enjoy it. Because you know, Nasha was Nasha was there in in Melbourne um, back in March, uh, almost on the day before uh, all hell broke loose. But you know, a full house and Katy Perry and all the rest. We've seen how good women's cricket can be when it when it's given the absolute full stage. But God forbid that 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 moment of breakthrough at Melbourne in 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 the World T Twenty final ends up being the sort of uh, the high point of women's cricket. It, it, it's going to be a long haul from here, and um, you know this 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 little opportunity that we've got coming up in in the next couple of days with 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 the visit of West Indies is magnificent. Um, but you know, fingers crossed, it, it it's not just a not just a, a token gesture. There may be more hard COVID times to come, I'm sure. Um, Nasha, you've got um, a women's series on the horizon as well, and uh, then it's then it's on to uh, what Afghanistan one-off test and the visit of India. Yeah, um, yeah. So just on the on the women's series, given that Miller was talking about that there, yeah, the world champions are back in action in oh ten day nine days time now in Brisbane playing. New Zealand and there'll be crowds back at the game as well. Um, a small number, I think, 
probably maybe in the 500 region, but all the tickets have been sold for the T20s and the three ODIs that follow um, at Allen Border Field. So that's going to be terrific just to watch some cricket on the telly and work on it. That actually has natural crowd noise. I mean, we've all obviously been watching empty stadiums in this wonderful English summer. Um, but my goodness, if, 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 that, if that little murmur of TV noise that they put on wasn't there, um, it would have it, it just it, the, the thing echoed anyway, didn't it? So just to have that, even if it's 500 people in the Allen border field, not a big ground. So I think that will be a really terrific atmosphere in a couple of weeks' time. And as Andrew was saying about England getting back, the England women's team getting back on the park. Um, I mean, Australia obviously were the ones crowned champions in that day at the MCG um, six months ago. Um, and it, there is uh, there does feel to be a different momentum behind the sport here than perhaps I think any other. Um, of of the countries, uh, England are are close second, but I don't think they quite hit the levels that Australian had in in, in their women's sport, um, and that was obviously crowned by that day at the MCG. So important to get the world champions back on the park. There's then the the women's big bash is going to get underway as well. That's going to be played entirely here in Sydney. So that's a terrific effort by CA to get that on um, on board. And then men's wise, yeah, um, looks like Afghanistan might be the losers. Um, it doesn't look as though I the feeling is that that test is going to have to drop off uh the schedule i mean partly more than anything actually more to do with the very strict um restrictions that western australia are still um going under they're not even allowing any sort of um they're not allowing a team to quarantine and train um at the same time which is what ca have agreed for the men returning they'll go to a hub in adelaide and be able to net in small numbers for two weeks um they're about to get signed off for the Indian teams to do the same, we think, in Brisbane or in Queensland before their tour starts. So it sounds as though it's going to be the IPL players will return, uh, go into two weeks quarantine that they have to do flying back, and then it'll be one-day series, T20s, ODIs. The test matches will be moved back a little bit for tests starting mid-December. Um, sounding a bit more positive that the MCG might keep Boxing Day. Uh, their COVID numbers are... Dipping down to the to below thirty a day now, um, and their restrictions are starting to be loosening. So, talk of maybe having twenty five thousand people at the MCG, and it just puts the comparison of the size of that damn place, doesn't it? That that's a quarter, that's a quarter full, a quarter full, and that would still be a disappointment. But it would be a good disappointment that you can only get twenty five thousand people in the G. Um, that would fill every ground in England, wouldn't it? Bar bar Lords, um, and then it will be Sydney. We hope, and, and then Brisbane. Uh, the big bash as well, which is obviously causing a few ructions at the moment in the TV world down here uh, in terms of what it's quite worth these days. But the big bash will go on December, January, and then we'll see what the new year looks like. Uh, a few tours in the pipeline, but don't know what they're going to um, look like yet. But as it was for the English summer, it, it, it's the lifeblood of the game coming up down here now. It really is a, um, a knife-edge summer in terms of... Um, so I can't remember what the figure the ECB put on it for getting those 18 matches away, but the figure down here is 300 million for India coming over and fulfilling their fixtures um, here um, this summer. So, um, yeah, that, there's a very important summer down here and looks as though we'll have some crowds, which is obviously going to be nice. Um, and, yeah, fingers crossed that they managed to get that some summer away um, as well and as effectively as England. Yeah, I mean, it, it just needs, it should be said as well. I mean, you know, in spite of everything, England have been extraordinarily lucky uh, with the the timing of this virus in 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 a weird way. Given that you know, given how important last summer was with with the World Cup and and the Australia Tour and future summers with India coming over. I mean, just imagine you know the opportunities lost for to recoup um, finances with you know England England's reserves obviously have dipped in the in recent years from 70 million to about 17 million and most of that money gets recouped in the years when they get full stadiums for for India Australia or World Cup and so they got that last year this year they had two grateful teams to you know two teams they were very grateful to have over uh, but wouldn't necessarily have been financially lucrative in the same way obviously you lose your gate receipts um uh, for for having for not having crowds for for the test matches but uh, you know to have empty stadiums for an india tour would be horrific and so that that figure that nasha mentioned is 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 astronomical uh england are very lucky that they had willing willing nations that came over hoping obviously for a bit of recipro reciprocity to get get over and have some have some bilateral tours tours out in Pakistan and and West Indies as as a thank you and let's hope the ECB uh, are good for that at some stage, um, but yeah they're lucky uh, that it wasn't a, a more high high profile summer that uh, that got hit this year. 
Well, fingers crossed for uh, Nasha and the Australians. Uh, they get plenty of cricket this summer. Uh, the hashtag is MCG so big for a reason, I'm sure. <laughs> that <laughs> just about wraps things up for today. Australia waltzed off with some silverware, as well as those all-important World Cup Super League points. But everyone we will be buddies again soon as the players head off to the IPL. England's behind-closed-doors summer will continue with the women's T20Is against West Indies. And we'll be back for more on that subject soon. My thanks to Miller and Nasha and to you all for tuning in to the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com.